Well, Will Vincent, thanks for uh, showing up. You're on Django Chat with Carlton Gibson, right? Yes, that's correct. And you were on the board for a while, the treasurer of Django, the Django Foundation. Is that right? Yep. Yep. The Django Software Foundation, which is the the nonprofit that runs Django. Okay. And one of the cool things that I think is neat that you did was while you were there, I think you were involved or did the merchandise store. So I, I pushed over the line. So there was lots of efforts over the years to have official merchandise and with all things with volunteers, because the board is a volunteer position, it just takes a final push. So um, you can go now, it's on Threadless and buy swag. Um, not a ton of people do, but it makes it makes some money for Django. All the profits go to Django. And during um, COVID, the conferences were virtual and they were able to put up their swag on there. So that was a good community building thing. Wow, you can even get the Django Con Australia t-shirt. Yeah, so that, that's that's a perfect example. So Django Con or PyCon Australia, which has a Django track, is happening right now. So they put they put it up um, for anyone who's um, who wants who's attending online and wants to have have swag. So you know, we could I, I look at it and we could do a lot of things that are better, but um, it exists and it's there. And um, you know, you go to a Django Con conference, which I suggest to anyone everyone should do if they can. And there's like swag from almost everyone but Django, because Django, even though it has a huge reach, is ultimately a nonprofit. It's a nonprofit with an annual budget of less than like a West Coast developer makes. So um, though it feels big, it's quite small and it's um, all run by volunteers. So there's only there's three three paid people. There's two fellows and then there's a, a woman, Catherine Holmes, who assists the board part time. Um, so that's it. That's the entire cost of Django. Yeah. But even just like yeah, a green T-shirt with Django on it, it's neat. I like it. Yeah, well, I think I was inspired actually partly by um, uh, your uh, your co-host um, Michael Kennedy. He had some swag, and I asked him about it, and so that got the ball rolling. And then when I applied to run for the board um, four four years ago, I guess that was one of the things I asked around, and everyone said, "Oh, we've we've talked about it, but we didn't quite have it." Um, so I I definitely joined the board and hit the ground running, being like I wanted to do. A bunch of things and one of those was the merchandise yeah i was thinking i, I wish i think it'd be cool if python did that too because um there's Py, there's django and python conferences going on all over the world i think it'd be fun i, I don't know i'm kind of the, one of the kind of dorks that would totally buy a conference t-shirt that i didn't go to uh just because uh it's they're neat sometimes they're neat um they like the the python uh what the the one the the one that happens in uh, New York, um, oh uh, Gotham, Hi Gotham. Yeah, they often have really great T-shirts, and I'm like, man, I wish yeah. I could get one of those. That that'd be cool. So, yeah, yeah well, it's I mean, it's interesting when you get on the ins. So so these are all volunteer positions. I suggest everyone get involved because um, you just get to meet the people. And yeah. one of the things is the Python Software Foundation. Um, they have a new uh, executive director, but through working through Django, had conversations with them because there's overlap around grants and legal things um and i was always surprised they don't have more of a push on merchandise but you know they're they're growing in staff but they're still small i think they're still 12 15 full-time people in yeah. different roles so you know there's always you know just like open source if you see something and you want to change it you know raise a hand and uh make it happen well can i volunteer somebody else no <laughs> <laughs> uh, well so this is you know and this is um Especially with Django. So Django, uh, oh, I, I've had this discussion. So I, I stepped away from the board this this year because um, I did three years and 
I think it's good to have new blood. Um, you know, there's constantly people have ideas for things that Django should do, but ultimately it's seven board members who on paper meet once one hour a month and that's it. Um, okay. In practice, the the president um, and the treasurer in, in particular do a lot more work than that, but it's not really sustainable. And, um, you know, so I'm kind of at the point where, and again, we had a whole track at DjangoCon Europe in Edinburgh this year about this. People say, well, why doesn't Django do X, Y, Z? It's just not going to happen unless we uh, have an executive director and or raise more money. And we're not going to raise more money until we know where it's going to go. And we're not going to know where it's going to go until, um, you know, people, the community agrees on doing it. So this is sort of the tyranny of, de of a democracy is that, you know, sometimes it'd be nice to just have one person in charge who could make, make things happen or have a paid executive director who can do these things, prioritize the list and actually make them happen because, you know, we all have yeah. uh, other jobs. So, okay. Speaking of other jobs. So you also wrote, um, you wrote some books, right? About Django. Yeah. Yeah. So I have, um, three books on Django, Django for beginners, APIs and professionals that, um, we were discussing before we started recording. They first came out in 2018 and I've updated them all at least five times because Django updates every eight months. So in a way I've done what, 15 updates, versions of the books. But on the other hand, you could look at it and say, I haven't written a new book in four years. Um, <laughs> so those are the, those are the primary ways uh, I make my money these days. I do some consulting and mentoring, but I've been able to make the books work. Um, I also have a, run a Django newsletter. We, we didn't mention Django, Django News. It's a weekly newsletter I run with Jeff Triplett because going on, I think, three years now because um, Django itself doesn't have a newsletter and there's plenty going on. So that's a weekly newsletter with projects, news, articles, packages, um, just because no one was doing it. And Jeff Triplett, is, he's a partner at RevSys, which is one of the preeminent Django uh, consultancies. And he's also um, been on the PSF. I forget his title, but he's a director. So he's as high as you can get. Uh, so he and I do that together for the community. Hmm. Yeah. Plus just a really swell guy. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, exactly. Yeah. And he also, his, he's still involved, but he's helped been on DEFNA, which is the Django Events Foundation of North America, which runs DjangoCon US. Um, so, you know, it, it's good to just get involved and find out who people are because um, it's just people and usually volunteers making things happen. And Django in particular is all about the community. Um, you can't really see from the website what an amazing community it has, yeah. but it has an incredible community. I mean, you know, and just not to take a pot shot, but in comparison to Flask, Flask is an amazing tool and David Lord does great work. Flask does not have a community like Django, right? Django has a board. Django has conferences. Django has podcasts, meetups, um, yeah. you know, different tools for different things. But it's, it's, you know, it's one of the marketing challenges, I think, in a way of Django compared to other web frameworks is that how do you communicate the community? Um, because the, the saying is come for the framework, you know, stay for the community. Well, I, I was just talking with um, uh, Carlton and he had a great quote. He said, um, um, the Django community uh, is the home he'd been missing before he found it. Um, and he, he said, uh, like, for instance, he would not have done five years of, of being a fellow if he, if it wasn't for the community being so wonderful. So, and I, I feel that about it, the Python community as a whole. I, uh, I don't think I would be such a, an advocate for Python if I wasn't, if it wasn't for the community being so awesome. So. Uh, yeah. And it's it's just all about telling people that and then having opportunities for them to get the first 
experience of it. So, you know, conferences are a great way. You know, it's been hard post COVID. A lot of meet, um, meetups have gone away, but people, you know, you hear it, but you need to experience it. You need a touch point. So, um, so I, I'm looking at uh, learnjango.com on a separate window. Um, yes. Is that the great best place for people to find your books? Or Yeah, that's, that's the best place. So I'm in a bit of a transition of um, I have physical books on Amazon. Um, I also have them through Gumroad. And I'm working towards having everything just on LearnDjango.com. So LearnDjango.com has a whole ton of free tutorials. You can get the books. Uh, and I'm moving towards a model of having um, everything just online for a number of reasons. One, one of which is accessibility, actually. You know, people... Uh, all over the world want to learn Django and Python and the how do you translate it, right? Like I get offers to translate my books, but given the pace of updates, it just doesn't work to go through, you know, to update it in all the different languages. But if you use um, all the major browsers have pretty, pretty solid translation built in. So if it's in HTML, someone can translate it into Japanese, Chinese, whatever language and get, you know, kind of 80, 90% of the way there. Huh. Um, and it's maintainable for me. Um, whereas doing, you know, I would love to have Brazilian, German, French, Russian, whatever translations of my books, and I get offers for it, but um, it doesn't make sense given the amount of sales and given the uh, update pattern. So if I buy, so I think, buy one of your eBooks, I can view it through the browser then? Sorry. Not yet. Okay. So if you buy the eBooks, you get a, you get a PDF or an EPUB through Gumroad. Okay. Um, so the plan is to... Um, have it just all seamlessly on one site. Right now, I've got a whole constellation of sites. Like, there's different sites for the books, so you can get you can read the first like quarter of all three books on their dedicated sites. Okay. Um, well, so I have some more. So you've got three books: Django for Beginners, Django for APIs, and Django for Professionals. Um, which one sells the most? Beginners. Beginners. But 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 it's not crazy. I mean, beginners is probably beginners is probably like 40% and then um, maybe like 30, 30 for the other two. Okay. Now do they build on um, each other? So if, can I, can I read? They do. So, it, okay. so this is the thing that I, you know, I, I wrote them boom, 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 four or five years ago initially. And now with the updates, there, that is the question, like, which one do I do first? They progress. They do progress on each other. There is a tiny bit of overlap with the APIs book. So, um, you know, which comes first, like should after beginners, do you do the APIs or do you do professionals? Professionals guides you through Docker and production um, level deployments and all the other kind of full goodies that Django provides. It doesn't go into APIs, even though most Django developers will be writing APIs <laughs> for a front end. Okay. So um, I don't have a perfect answer. I usually say, depends what you need at work. If it's just you and you just want to like get a site up or you're a small team, the professionals, um, but the APIs one is written you know, for Django REST framework and APIs, because there there wasn't any book that I was aware of at the time, and there's still very few that kind of show you how to do authentication, how to do security, how to deploy. Um, so, you know, all the first two books definitely started off as my own notes to myself on how to do all this as I was learning. Okay. And then um, I actually I had a a break in employment. I joined a company that then was sold and uh, was not asked to continue on. So while I was interviewing, I decided to publish these books and that led me on the path I am today. And I'm actually amazed that you make a living like full-time living off of writing. Yeah, everyone, everyone is, which I'm always like, not sure how to respond to that, but um, it's, you know, it's a couple of things. I mean, one is that 
I before I learned how to program, I started my career as a book editor, which is probably unusual. Um, editing trade fic- fiction, nonfiction, all that kind of stuff for five years, huh. and then I got and and then I learned how to code and got an MBA, and then I worked at startups in San Francisco. I were I was the third employee at a place called Quizlet, which is an educational. I remember Quizlet. Flashcard, yeah, flashcard place. Yeah, so there was. You know, employee number three, uh, it's supposed to IPO at some point. That would be nice. Um, and so I had that experience. And, um, you know, what I took away from that is so I'd never lived on the West Coast before. Um, but, you know, there's such a divide, obviously, between people who can code and people who can't. Um, yeah. And I remember thinking, I'm young enough, I've got a brain. Um, this is the like, I, hi- I helped hire the entire technical team, the first 10 developers there. Um, but the one thing I couldn't do was like code code. Okay. Um, I'd learned how to code and build build basic websites while I was actually transitioning out of publishing. So I, I had a small business building websites for uh, book authors because that would be a couple thousand dollars and we'd hire people to do it. And I was like, oh, I could do that. Um, <laughs> so I learned how to do that, you know, not award winning, but good enough um, and did that for a number of authors. Um, and then I wanted to make the transition to the West Coast. Um, but yeah, so I came into all this later in life. Um, oh, wow which I think informs my perspective in a couple of ways because I'm not formally trained um, and I'm also not as malleable in terms of, I, I still get upset at how hard it is to learn how to code. I still think coding itself is not, it is generally not that complicated. It's just poorly taught and it's poorly taught because most people learned it when they were like 12 or they learned it in an engineering course. And you know, so they think that's how it should be taught. And I think that is how it should be taught if you're getting an engineering degree bottoms up. But if you're just trying to learn on your own and get a job and be functional, much more of a mixing of context and theory is relevant. And so certainly my beginner's book, um, there's a lot of like, we're just going to build this thing and then I'll backfill. I will cover the information, but I'm not going to like barrage you with fundamentals up front. I want you to get that aha of things working. Huh. And then I will show how it all fits together. Um, so the but the irony is, over the years, as I've been doing all this for over well over a decade now, um, I find the the small things interesting. So I've become kind of what I didn't want to be. I've become one of those like engineering professor people. Like now I'm like excited by the details, and so I every edition <laughs> I put more and more <laughs> in there. But I try really hard to make clear, like it's sort of like as an aside, like you know you. This is what's ha- you know. This is how password stuff is actually working. Like you don't need to know that, but I want you to ha- know that it's there for when you're ready for it or you have the inkling. Yeah. But you know, somebody who can kind of say, "Here's the main course," and there's all these side quests. Um, but when you're starting out, you don't have anyone to sort of tell you. I mean, I see this when I mentor people. There's how do you? There's no way to separate what I should do, what I shouldn't do. Like you can spend days, weeks on something, and someone's experience is like, "Oh, that doesn't really matter." Well, one of the frustrating um, things I have is how hard it is to write a write and self publish an ebook in still today. Um, so mm-hmm. um, I'm yeah. <laughs> I'm curious. Like, okay, so you you sell through Gumroad, Amazon, um, and on your site. Um, where does where do you get the best? Where does most of the traffic come from? Is it the tra- well, the traffic comes from me because I have the I have t- a whole lot of free tutorials, okay, and then I have the free um, first like three or four chapters of all the books available. So it's very much like, you know, try it, like see what see what you like. So the progression generally is people find a tutorial, and then from there they find the book, and then I give away quite a, a lot of it. And um, you know, if they like my teaching style, oh, nice. then they'll they'll fill it in. So it's all. Um, it's all, you know, I, I'm, I've been doing this long enough. I'm at a point where I want to 
keep creating content, but I need to focus a little more on the marketing side and think about how to do that because most, you know, as you can attest, most people who write a book have a full-time job and, you know, it's it's something they focus on, but it's not necessarily the full yeah. focus. But you can get kind of wrapped up in like, I need to make my content better and you should, but how do you it's like anything, you know, if you believe enough to create the product, you should believe enough to sell the product. And so I've been thinking a lot, um, especially this summer, I've I've been stepping a little bit away from the keyboard trying to think about like okay how do i you know is this what i'm gonna do the next seven years like how do i how do i make this work um and so yeah so you know actually you were just telling me like you know videos is one thing right like you just um you're thinking about videos um, i'm thinking about videos but you know time is limited so as a content creator you have to balance learning creating um and marketing yeah so like, for instance, um, I don't even have a way for people to find the video. So I've started doing the PyTest book as a course, as three courses, actually. And by the time I air this episode, it will be at pythontest.com slash course or courses or one of those things. Um, there'll be a page that talks about it. Right now, all it has is a, I did a, a, a course for, um, for Michael on his uh, Talk Python. So there's a, a little short course mm -hmm. there. Um, but I had fun doing it. So I, I'm, I'm really enjoying doing the course because um, with, especially with working with an editor, um, and I think that the pragmatic editors really did help make the PyTest book better. Um, so, but you, you have, uh, you know, multiple, like five versions of this stuff or three versions at least. Um, or five, did you say? Five versions of each book? I think I'm on, I'm on the fifth update. That's amazing. Um, I think it was like, I mean, it's, you know, but I think, is it, is it where I need to most spend my time? Because every every update, uh, I'm I'm thinking about. So 5.0 for Django comes out um, in December. If there's a way to have just like a 5.0 release or 5.x release that covers for two and a half years, because the reality is 99% of it is like Django does a really good job of being mature and not breaking things. Yeah. Um, and for me as a creator, I it's just such a burden. It's not it's not even the code. It's just all the logistics of updating the text and then updating the books and then updating the websites and updating the GitHub repo. And, um, all that takes up a lot of time that, um, could be spent on new courses or new things when, you know, the, the code is fine. But, you know, again, from the outside, you look in, you say, oh, it was 4.2 and it's 5.0. That seems a lot different. And it's like, well, it's pretty much the same. Um, <laughs> but the problem is that the 5% that's different is the 5% that if you're new to this, will like full stop you. Um, well, since your you're doing like the marketing side for it, one of the things I would su suggest that I plan on doing with the uh, marketing of the PyTest book is just letting people know that it still works. Like the like make, make test it and make sure that the, and maybe update the site and say, yeah, it still says in the book 4.2, but it works fine on whatever the current version is or something. Um, yeah, but I I know I've done. Yeah, my experience is I've said that and done that, and people still like. Kind of want to see the shiny new number, <laughs> which which I understand. I mean, I think it depends. Yeah. The interesting thing for me about video, I mean, because you you know PyTest, I guess, is a little more advanced, maybe than some other things, because you're you know you have to know Python, you have to have some sense of testing. Um, I've always thought of video as being certainly designed for true beginners who get fully stuck. Um, I'm curious, you know, how you do and how the market is for more advanced video courses. I mean, on the one hand, you see. You see people like Wes Boss and Ken C. Dodds and some of these in the JavaScript realm who charge like premium prices. Um, but I don't see most people seem to just go to like Udemy and get, you know, a nine dollar whatever course. I'm curious how 
how big the upper end of that um, sphere is. Well, we'll see. I, I'm not sure. Yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> we'll see. We'll like see. For yeah. instance, um, I'm working on right now. I'm working on chapter three, which is which is the big the biggie for PyTest, which is uh, f- uh fixtures. And, mm, yeah, and right. PyTest is really pretty easy to work with, but it's a mind shift and fixtures are definitely yeah. one of the mind shift things. So I'm really enjoying um, like between the second, uh, the first edition and the second edition of the book, I re- completely revamped how I teach fixtures um, and mm. I go a lot slower. However, I'm going even more s- slow in the, in the course, the video course, but I can also do it different. So I, I have like, like I start with some visual slides with drawings and stuff and say, this is, you know, I can move boxes around and stuff and say, Oh, this, the, the, you know, setups over here and teardowns over here. I get, like do more like drawings and, and artwork and then, and then do a demo and then go back to, and then I'm going to redo the demo and say, okay, let's do it again, but do it slightly different just because you got to have that repetition. But the cool thing about the video is somebody can watch it and then go all through all three of these models at like 1.25 speed or something and right and see the whole thing in like 10 minutes and then they go ah i still don't get it they can watch it again um and yeah uh, I, right well it's it's more how you would do it if you were sitting next to someone yeah the video i mean because when you write a book you you kind of have to predict what's going to be confusing and address it yeah um but you're you're just kind of guessing uh i mean because ult- on some level ultimately it's just a it's a cook it's like a recipe book right it's just like do, do do you know this 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 and this and you have to somehow make it readable and somehow be like and you're probably gonna think this but really it's that um so for me is when i'm writing stuff i'm always trying to think about where is that line um because i i yeah i'm my email is very available i email every day with 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 readers so i have a some sense of you know what's tricky but i have to figure out where to where to put that line you kind of have to guess whereas if it's just a video i think it does open up ways to be a little more yeah it's just more visuals you know other ways to show stuff yeah and like say chapter two was maybe just one chapter but i did there's probably 15 or 16 videos in it um um mm. so and they're only like a few minutes each but um i like i i'm enjoying that granularity so in the future if there's things that break on a new pie test i can maybe just update that section and not all of it sort of things like that so, well yeah that's the sort of the, the the problem is always upgrades yeah um <laughs> with everything i mean even um i forget his last name but anthony who runs uh, there's a youtube channel pretty printed and he's done a number of django courses um and he's stopping doing courses just because it's too much for him to do the updates and i see mm. this happen again and again and again and i certainly feel the pain and that's that's in some ways that's what i most worry about with video because unless you know can you just go in and snip and just change changes a couple things that that are different or do you have to redo the whole thing because you know with text you can just jump in and do it um we'll see uh i don't know i'm having fun we'll with see. it though um so le- is learn django is the site um a django site so it is a, it is a django <laughs> site my personal website ws vincent is um it's still what is it it it's um oh jekyll uh so it's it's uh, ruby and it's something I set up a long time ago, a static static site, and I just can't be bothered to change it. Um, but Learn Django is actually a Django site, um, so I'm I'm sort of excited about having having a a personal site that I can just do. I can just make it perfect in a way that you never could in a professional setting. Like if I want to have 100% test coverage, I can. 
yeah. if I want to do all these over optimizations and stuff, um, I think it's important to have one project at least like that that's um, a playground, but with users. Um, because for me, I have so many tutorials and books, and it's generally relatively simple toy projects that I'm creating. Yeah. So it just sometimes that's a little less satisfying than like taking a week and just being like, I'm just going to do like, you know, real in quotes, Django now <laughs> and, you know, do all the stuff that I want to do that I know, you know, in a professional setting, you don't have the um, flexibility to do it. But if I find something interesting or challenging, I know that others will too. And so that leads me to a course. Yeah. So um, like, I'd love to, like, I mean, you know, if you Google right now, Django testing tutorial, I'm pretty sure it's something I wrote, which I would love to do a testing course. But um, I don't know if there, there's a market for there. Um, but, you know, once I fully add, I've sketched it out once I fully, you know, I'm like, well, one thing I could do is really get to 100% coverage and all these cool things I want to do with PyTest and the rest and then, you know, turn it into a course. So um, trying to get that flywheel of like learning, coding, teaching. Well, I think that would be cool. And I know of at least one platform you could sell on. And um, uh, anyway, so the the the. The PyTest course I'm working on is under a test and code banner, and I think um, I would have no problem with trying to with bringing on other people to, if you wanted. Uh, yeah. Okay. Cool. Open. Well, that's that's always the, um, um, you know, this is the progression, right? It's sort of like the progression of like you see a YouTube channel, someone starts with a niche like coding, and then they end up doing like personal productivity hacks. They go like more general. That's like what people actually want to see. Like yeah. I find that you, um, uh. Yeah, like it's hard it, once you've done the marketing to create, you know, the testing thing or the Python thing, right? Like Michael Kennedy has or the Django thing, then it's like, oh, well, why don't I just bring in other content? Um, and that makes sense. But I also see that then you're spending as the maintainer of that, then you're spending a lot of time like yeah. editing other people's stuff rather than doing your own stuff. Oh, and yeah. It's a question, of, never it's a mind. question of size. Yeah, never mind. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I'm not saying you shouldn't. I, I don't know if you can tell. I overthink everything. Uh, um, but I've seen, like, um, my friend Michael Herman, who runs testdriven.io, he created, he was one of the creators of realpython.com. And they they spent a lot of time doing this. And he had frustrations around updates. And that's one of the reasons he sold it um, to Dan Bader. Um, and then uh, he and I worked on the early versions of testdriven.io, which is a Django site together. Um, and now he's kind of recreated it in a good in a, in a good way, but it's it you know it's just I sort of know that devil a little bit um, yeah. in terms of um, but anyways. so I um, <laughs> not, not a Django discussion. <laughs> I actually I, I know what you mean about the, like the having a website that you can work on. I've got a side project that's Django that I'm I've going really slowly because of all the other stuff I'm doing. But the um but I, I I'm looking yeah. forward to having that be the playground where I can figure out figure out testing in Django and um and deployment and all that sort of stuff and 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 then also just make it something I, I wanna uh that I'm proud of. Um it's completely not targeted to programmers. So I'm not even gonna plug it here because nobody's gonna need it. Uh, but uh yeah but it's sort of fun. As far as like my personal site, it's in Hugo, but really, yeah, really, it's in Markdown. Uh, I don't yeah, exactly. I don't touch the anything with Hugo other than I like configure some YAML files and I write in Markdown, and that's it. So, um, do you? So, yeah, I mean, same. My Jekyll site's in Markdown. I mean, my Django, Learn Django, I write in Markdown. You know, in terms of writing. So, your how about your books? Did you do your own custom pipeline, or do you use a uh, 
like some other pipeline to generate? No, I do it. I do it manual. Um, I'm kind of old school because I know people have created test suites and stuff for their things. I've found that I like just eight months have passed going through it all from scratch. And I have to kind of do it anyways, because I create a whole new, I don't, I don't trust the code enough to do it. Like I'm, it's not just that fixing things that break. It's also, do I want to, it's like the subjective things around style because that changes over time. So I go through them all from scratch and do it all from scratch uh, each time. You're, you're manually writing the EPUB document. Oh no, sorry. I, I generate to generate, to generate that I use lean pub. Oh, okay. Um, Sorry, I use LeanPub uh, to generate it. All right, um, but in terms of like the text itself and the code itself, I go through the, all that manually. Yeah. Oh, I- um, some people write a little script and then use that to kind of update their additions for the for the code. Oh, right, yeah. Um, I'm not sure how I would do it now. Uh, I I did a, I did market a little um, uh, LeanPub based book on testing a long time ago, um, so I'm, I'm familiar with the at least what LeanPub was. 10 years well, they, ago you know, I don't know what it's this like is the problem with getting older you're like why does things change you know so like lean pub i started with it they had a they had like a 95 percent or a 90 percent um royalty rate and then and great tools and then they switched it to 80 percent um and then gumroad came along and gumroad was like 97 percent. like that's great but now gumroad is now 90 percent um you know so if you're locked into a platform they're just they're gonna put the squeeze on you eventually yeah. <laughs> um uh but it's you know so like i've thought about like i would like to i've worked to have like a more professional cover um, for my covers because I I design the covers you know so they're not amazing and it's it's an issue that people think the books are not as good as they are because the t- cover is not great so I'd like to design a cover so I have to get someone to do the cover and that um and that's a whole process and hundreds of dollars um and then I need to update it for each edition I think right so that's an update and then what if I change the amount of text now the spine changes now I have to change that oh, and then I have to change the interior layout so it's you know, there's a reason why publishing houses, it's, it's not just time. It's, it's ultimately a couple thousand dollars per update yeah. just to do one update for one book. And I'm, so, you know, I'm thinking about, I still want to have at least one imprint book, but it may be the case that I move to online stuff and just have like one textbooky. I mean, so the Django for Beginners book is used. I mean, I know in a number of um, universities as like a semester long web course right now. Um, so it'd be nice to sort of maybe have that be, if you want like a physical book, you can have that. Um, but it's just the, all the, all the other maintenance stuff is, is difficult to, to do with a web framework that updates so often, right? Like Python and PyTest. Yeah, they change, but people don't see them changing as much. Well, and they're very actually, and uh, PyTest has been almost as good at Python actually about maintaining backwards compatibility. Like you could kind of ignore the new features if you want to for a long time. Uh, I mean Django Django too. It's more that the the web space changes. I actually I was a curious question for you. I mean, because I know you were you know, I think sometimes people think that web stuff or Django stuff is is um is like a novice thing, but like I know from experience that there's many people who've been coding Python for 10, 20 years or more, but haven't touched web who um who then, you know, will say nice things about my books because the other books assume a whole breadth of web knowledge that you may not know, even if you've been doing a, a programmer. Um, so that's one thing I get a little frustrated with is that people kind of assuming the web stuff is simple if they're coming from 
other realms uh, <laughs> um, when the reality is like, yeah, I get lots of emails from people who doing stuff for decades and, you know, having trouble. Well, one of the things that's difficult as a, as a, a teacher uh, or like a course creator or a book writer or something is to, f- f- to pick a target audience. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. like for me, uh, I might be, I'm new to Django, but uh, man, I started learning. I, I learned uh, web stuff in the nineties when it was like, when there was one browser you could do, we had Netscape navigator and that was it. Right. Um, right. And then I started writing like uh, what raw HTML with uh, image files and, uh, um, and Perl uh, CGI scripts in the back end. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, yep. The, and then, uh, you know, I, then I left for a while, did embedded stuff. And then when I came back to build something, uh, uh, did learned a little PHP, then learned a little WordPress, then, uh, came back later and then learned, uh, some JavaScript and some, some CSS. And, and then even then when I came back again, CSS is completely different. CSS is a programming yeah, tail, tailwind and everything. Yeah, and sat, yeah. It's, got, it's got compilers SAS, and everything. Yeah. And, um, yep. Uh, it's a, it's, it's mind boggling. So trying to find a Django tutorial that is like, I'm new to Django, but I get the web already. Um, it's, uh, it's been difficult, um, uh, to try to, and also I'm a really impatient person. I I'm, so I, I was, uh, I can't remember who I was talking to, but I'm, I'm great for like, I understand the beginner mindset thing and I'm p- totally fine with walking through like a toy tutorial or something. I, and I like toy tutorials for nerding new things. But then after I've done that, I'm like, okay, now I want to draw the rest of the owl. Um, now, <laughs> now I want to build yeah. like a professional website with, uh, with e-commerce in it and uh, mm-hmm. slideshows and wants. all that sort of stuff. And it's hard to get from beginner to something that looks polished. So yeah. I I've thought about this in terms of maybe there's something, you know, maybe there's like a recipe book or something like where for someone like you or even someone like me, like I'm going through stuff like so I'm talking to people who said like, yeah, I went through your book, but then I was trying to implement it uh, in my own th- site and I was just getting stuck. And and I was like, well, I showed it. I showed you how to do it all. And they're like, well, but, you know, you were but you were teaching while you were doing it. It would have helped to have like a final project that just sort of like, let's just blast through it the way you know, you would if you knew this, as opposed to like paragraphs of explanation about stuff. That's something that stuck with me that I'm thinking about. Um, well, that you know, even for me, that might be yeah. great as a video course where you could just say, you're just going to talk while you're building it. Okay. I'm going to build a, like a little stupid bookstore or something. Um, and, uh, and then walk through all the stuff uh, and record. Yeah. It. Well, th- so, yeah. So I think, I think there's room, there's room for that for something that's um, you know, there is someone, uh, Matt Lehman, who does, um, he does like weekly podcasts where, or, uh, excuse me, video screencasts where he builds Django stuff. He does great content. Yeah. I think to me, the issue is like, I like, I'm impatient. I like things curated. Like, I don't want to see someone like pull their hair out and like hunt around for a bug. I would rather see someone just kind of like do it in God mode yeah. and just do it as a reference point. <laughs> but that requires a whole lot more polish than, you know, actually doing it. Um, but I still think there's, you know, that's what I've been thinking about. Cause I want to do more advanced stuff, but I can't, I can't always like explain everything. Um, and I don't, you know, so just say like, Hey, I've got beginner stuff. Like, we're just going to kind of fly here. Um, 
even setting up a new Django site from scratch. Like, so one of the repos I have, I have two kind of popular repos. One is an awesome Django repo with Jeff Triplett, which like curated stuff that got like 7,000 something stars. And then I have a starter project, Django X, which along with, um, oh, I'm blanking on it, Cookie Cutter Django, I think are the two of the more popular starter yeah. projects. Because even someone who knows how to use Django, it's like, you just want to like, hey, I just want to like, have authentication, simple deployment. I like. I want to build the thing. I don't want to like reinstall Django and go through all the steps. Yeah, it still takes so much time. Even like even for me when I teach this stuff, and you know, professional developers who haven't created a new project in a couple of years. You know, I've had people who are like you know who like wrote Django who like have referred to stuff I've written because they just haven't done it from scratch in a while. So yeah. maybe there's like a premium recipe book thing for like get me to this. You know, get me to the owl like and. You, you can skip some steps, but like, just show me how to do it. Well, that might be a cool thing for like a subscription site too, to be able to just say like, uh, you know, if it's low enough that I can forget about the subscription fee, um, just to have like, when I run into the authentication and I'm like, Oh, how do I do that? Or something or. Right. Well, cause you're, you're ultimately your time saving, right? I mean, yeah. when you get, I think past intermediate level, it's like, okay, you could figure it out, but like. If someone just gives it to you and saves you a couple hours, what's that worth? Probably worth a lot. Yeah, and I'm not um, ready yet to just like ask an AI to write it for me. Um, so I'm not quite. You know, Simon Willison. I don't, I don't know if you've had him on. Uh, one of the co-creators of Django. You know, he's he's kind of at that point. But I've you know I've, I've talked with him and others, and I think if you already know how to do it, AI is great because you can spot the 10 percent that's nonsense. Yeah. But as a learning tool, or even if you're intermediate. Um, I don't know, maybe I'm old fashioned, but I think you have to already be a master to appreciate the scaffolding because you can toss out the nonsense because it still has nonsense. Yeah. And also, I mean, <laughs> Simon Willison's brain moves so fast that. Oh, my God. That I th- He's frantic. I think that like an AI bot is the only thing that could keep up with him, like uh, coming up with new ideas. Um, so. But, I, th- you know, I think actually if there was the first place that I would want to see this would actually be testing in a way. I feel like testing for in the web context would be a great place for AI because you can kind of like, does it work? Does it not work? It's can be relatively <laughs> simple for unit tests. Um, it, I, you know, as I think of the web stack, I feel like, you know, and actually that was one of the talks. I don't know if you saw, there was one of the talks at DjangoCon Europe. Um, uh, I'll pull it up. Um, they were, um, sort of creating automated tests like kind of on the fly for for people because um anyways i think that's kind of like if i had to pick an area of of django that ai would influence it would be the testing suite yeah okay that'd be interesting mike when a lot of times i get a lot of questions for people ask like how do i test this thing or something and right um and my first question back to them is well how do you know if it's working or not uh, because if you don't know if it's working or not, if you can't describe how how it's working or not, then you can't write a test for it. And that often leads to research. So I'm not sure how to tell an AI how to tell if my what that what my intent was so that it can generate the right test for something. Um, but yeah, I'm going to I'm going to share with you this talk um, because it's only had so criminal, only 500 views. Um, it's called um, Turning Test Writing into a Consistently Brief and Pleasant Experience from DjangoCon Europe 2023. <laughs> I mean, it's the only the only talk, the entire conference that got a standing ovation. Okay. Um, well, I'll have to watch that. Uh, and that, but I think, that's, you know, that's a great title. I should have subtitled my book that. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> well, you should, I, can, I can introduce you. Um, but I, 
you know, but part of it with all this stuff, it's like, how do you convince people that they have a problem? <laughs> you know, it's like, how do you sell soap? How do you tell people they smell? It's like, how do you tell them that their their code is lousy and they need tests? Or how do you tell them that it could be better? Like you, it's um, it's difficult to do the thing and then to like figure out how to convince people of of the thing, right? Like for you, like how do you, you know, people are like, yeah, my my code kind of works, you know, web stuff, like yeah, stakes are low, like. Why do I need Pytest? Like, what, what's your kind of response to that? Well, you might not. Um, if does it does it <laughs> does it work already? I mean, like, it depends. Yeah. Um, if your customers are griping, and then maybe you ought to test more before they, so that you catch it before your customers do. But a lot of yeah, people you can ignore the ignore the engineer griping. They don't they don't count. But yeah, the customers. Well, the I guess I think engineering griping is is worthwhile listening to as well. If I I test not because I, I care about quality, but that's not why I test. I test because being a software engineer is more fun when I can lean on the test to know things are working. So, right. Well, it's like, how do you trust a coworker, let alone yourself six months ago? Yeah, I don't. Let alone, so. you know, third, <laughs> third party updates. Well, that's what, that's one of the, I, I don't know if I told you this story. One of the, um, I know we're coming up a little on time when I joined Quizlet, um, it was a, I think it was a top hundred website at the time, or after, after, within a year or two of when I joined. Um, but there were like two full time engineers. It was PHP, custom stack. Um, the the creator had started it when he was fifteen, and and managed it while he was at MIT. So not really like how you would do it in a professional setting, um, but it worked. And I one of the people I hired was a graduate student. He just finished a graduate degree from Stanford, so he came in. We were very excited, like into education, all this stuff. And he looked, looked at the code base there. Guess how many tests there were? Uh, I don't know. Top hundred website, zero, <laughs> zero, zero is in zero, like all in the founder's brain. And the other early engineers had just, you know, also young kind of cowboy coding was all in their head. And so this, you know, Stanford tra trained engineer, he was like, uh, I don't feel comfortable writing anything unless we have a test suite. And so, um, he set up Jenkins, you know, we never had Jenkins before, uh, huh. you know, so all these, but you know, um, real world code is always like, I think people who, who grow up or people who learn in school and then open source code and they get in their first company and they see what the real world is like, it's, it's, it's a little bit shocking, right? Cause real world code is supposed to be like one, like one bite away from breaking. You know, real world code is always kind of a mess. Um, but there's also other stuff that, I mean, the, the testing landscape is not just, did I write a test for it? But there's also um, there's also monitoring and um, yeah. and error reports and log you know log tracking and there's all sorts of stuff to so that even if your customers don't complain, uh, the engineering team can see that like oh these links are broken and everybody that clicks on it it doesn't work so they can go fix it. Um, so. Yeah, or permissions. Like we had a case where the um, the founder drop db the entire database um trying to fix one record but you know there were no permissions on there it was just him and a couple other people and you know it's like oops so we had a at the time there's a company there's a company i think they're still around called percona that do like will help you retrieve there was a backup but um we had like the highest level plan so like we had 24 7 like call up someone um you know there's all these I don't know how much of that is i think a lot of that is startup -y. you know that's sort of like consumer startups in the west coast where it's a it's a very much yeah, fast and loose as opposed to you know other settings but um i mean anything that could go wrong i mean god i mean and we, you know we were right next to all the startup dropbox all these places like you hear just hear these security horror stories <laughs> all yeah. over the place 
Um, but you know, the companies are still around and people made money. So I guess it's fine. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, you, you want things to go as best as possible, but there's, I mean, there's levels. There's, there's, there's like a website that shares cat pictures and then there's, uh, yeah. there's systems that handle your healthcare system for you. Um, some are a little bit more important than others. I, I'm right. just saying. Right. So, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I guess one last question. You said you you were on the West Coast for a while. Are you still on the West Coast? No. Yeah. So I was. Um. I'm just outside of Boston now. Okay. Um. I was out in San Francisco. Um. For I guess only three three four years. Okay. Um. And had my uh, as as happens. Um. Had my first child and was very far away and came back. So you know all the all the East Coast people I know who've lived out west. The only reason you come back is family not the weather it's not the food it's not the it's not the job prospects um but i've i've been primarily on the, on the east coast uh, most most of my life but um i've left it so i have perspective on it and you're in a co-working space is that to uh, isolate yourself from the kids or uh yeah uh, yes and, <laughs> and yes um so i have i have three little kids uh i'm in i'm in an apartment um so I can focus just fine, but I don't have a door that closes that is respected. Oh, so yeah. I go to, uh, okay. This is one of the things um, I've had to adapt to working remotely. Like I've been working remotely, I guess, since 2014. Okay. Um, and it's certainly a, a I, I like people, so it's it's a challenge for me to actually, you know, just not have other people around, even though I like having a deep think. But I've, it, you know, it was a whole process, especially the first couple of years for for me and my wife to learn that. Um, all those like interactions out in the world, like when you just like during COVID, I think this happened to couples. Um, when you just like sit there all day with each other, uh, like you don't really have anything to talk about, right? <laughs> like just like, oh, something happened the bus or this and that. Like it, it is kind of like the spice of life. Um, yeah. So long way of saying co-working space for me is a very worthwhile investment. Um, just it's also just easier just to, you know, I come here, I work, and when I'm home, I I could totally see that if I if I had especially in an apartment. I I have the luxury of having an office that with a door. So yeah, I can close it off, and 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 if I have it cracked open, that means you can interrupt me if you need to. But if it's uh if it's closed, it means don't. <laughs> yeah, I think it's it's also context switching. I think um I mean I've gotten you have to you know being self employed and being working remote, you have to be yeah. pretty good and disciplined. But it's just a lot easier to you know like yeah, it's easier to just have a space where like you do the thing in the in there, and you don't have to. Yeah. Um, well let's wrap it up because we're getting long but uh thanks so much for talking with me will yeah thank you brian i'm i'm a fan of your earlier episodes on on this new podcast and i like the idea of you know exposing the people behind uh the code a little bit yeah and in the future um if there's anybody um i'm kind of saying this both to you and to people listening uh if there's people that you think are really uh, influential in the python community or just interesting people um that would be fun to talk to uh let me know when you think of them uh we'll try to get them yeah. on the show all right thanks sounds good all right bye thanks for listening to python people show notes are at pythonpeople.fm please subscribe to the show you can also follow the show on mastodon follow at python people or at brian Ocken, both on fostodon.org this episode is brought to you by the Complete PyTest course. PyTest is powerful and easy to get started. You owe it to yourself and your team to write clean, easy-to-read tests to save you time now and during maintenance. The Complete PyTest course will get you started with good habits and teach you some cool tricks when you need them later on. Even if you already use PyTest, why not level up? 
With a 30-day refund policy, you've got nothing to lose. Check it out at courses.pythontest.com. Thank you, Patreon supporters. You rock. Links to the course and Patreon sign-up are in the show notes. If you'd like to be on the show or know someone you'd like me to interview, reach out to me on Mastodon. I'm at Brian Aachen at Fostodon.org. That's all for now. Thanks.